0: It would sound well. say for network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. Let's talk about the Moon Knight trailer. So what'd you think about this trailer? I'm curious with you because this is the MCU's attempt to go dark, it would seem. And I'm curious because I know you didn't really vibe with a lot of the Netflix stuff when it was on. So this is kind of like a new approach to them doing that kind of content, I think.
1: You know, it, it really is. But I think A, it's got Oscar Isaac. With a weird English accent. <laughs> <laughs> Which is already like a plus in my book.
0: Yeah. Because we all know a superhero movie plus Oscar Isaac is gonna be awesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he Um, can't miss in a superhero genre, right? (laughs) uh, He wasn't the problem I had with Apocalypse. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of problems with Apocalypse. I think he was one of many. (laughs) It was more his suit was weird. Yeah. Whatever. I I have no connection to that character anyway, so I don't even know what to judge it against. But that movie just did not work. But obviously, this is something different, even if it's technically owned by Disney.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it gave the thing I like about it is it gave off real strong fight club vibes.
0: Yeah, a bit. It is very similar. For people not familiar with Moon Knight, I know I talked about it with the teaser, but we probably have a bunch of people who didn't hear that episode. So essentially, Moon Knight is kind of the MCU's Batman in a way. Like he's similar to Batman in that he strikes out at night. You know, he goes from the shadows. But where he's different is he's a mentally ill individual who may or may not have multiple personalities. He's either being taken over by an Egyptian god and becomes an assassin or he just goes into another personality at the full moon and becomes this assassin so it's hard to say which it is at least in the comics like at first they weren't really vague about it but then later in the comics they were very vague about it in that like he could be insane or he could be a hero and it's really a fun angle to follow they kind of copied it when they did the ultimate Avengers back I don't know I want to say it was like 20 years ago they relaunched all the comics as the ultimates where they kind of like redid everybody's story like updated it a bit and Thor's thing was like he might be insane or he might Be a a Norse god, like you just don't know because the way his suit is designed, it looks like it's high tech, right? Yeah, but it could just be that the Asgardians have suits like that too. You just don't know, which is fun, but they're really cribbing it from what they were doing with Moon Knight. I'm looking forward to this, I think this could be a lot of fun. He looks pretty cool,
1: yeah, just from like the few panels I've seen, it looks like the costumes
0: right on. It's kind of exciting that Ethan Hawk is in this series too. If I'm being honest, like, I fucking love everything Ethan Hawke is in. Like, I can't think of a single thing I don't like with Ethan Hawke.
1: Uh, his character in Reality Bites.
0: Yeah, but I like Reality Bites. <laughs> 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 yeah, his character's a douche, but as I've said before, I wanted to be him when I was younger. Because Ben Stiller fucked up and made him too cool. Or maybe Ethan Haw- I- Ethan Hawke made him too cool. Let's be real <laughs> about this. All right, so moving on. So there was another trailer that dropped for Our Flag Means Death which will premiere at HBO Max at some point in March. Should be noted Moon Knight's supposed to drop March 30th. Our flag means death. It's produced by A Take It YTD and stars Rise Darby, Leslie Jones, and YTD. What'd you think about this trailer?
1: It's exactly what I want from, like, a Taika Waititi pirate movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Ryze Darby just- I love Rise Darby. He's so good and he doesn't get to do very many things that we get to watch. But when he does, he's really funny. And I feel like it's almost always a Taika Waititi thing that we see him in. Like the only thing I can think of without Taika Waititi is Jumanji. Yeah.
1: Where he plays the NPC. Yeah,
0: basically, like, gives him the mission. But, I mean, like, in Flight of the Concords, he played Murray. Did you ever watch Flight of the oh, Concords? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, several times. So fucking good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, mul- the first season multiple times. I think I only watched the second season really once. But, like, that first season is so fucking good. Rise Darby was just so funny at the way he was so anal retentive. And he'd take a role and he'd be like... <laughs> there's the three of them in the... Yeah, there's just three of them in the room. And he had to do it every time. <laughs> You'd be like Brit, Jermaine, Murray, present. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Or what we do in the shadows, where he's a werewolf and he's telling everybody, What do we always say? And they're like, We're werewolves, not That's swearwolves. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and that is kind of what he's doing with the pirates, right? Like they're apparently trying to be gentleman pirates. Like I, I read some synopsis for this, which is basically like he lives a normal kind of pampered lifestyle and it just decides he wants to be a pirate. And so he's going to be a gentleman pirate. And uh, <laughs> Leslie Jones makes it clear that he's an idiot in that trailer <laughs> yeah and looks
1: like the uh entire crew is pretty much idiots like they have to like their acting is like
0: acting to be pirates oh get your scary faces on yeah come talk to me if you have a problem right <laughs> like don't take it into your own hands like that's not how pirates work <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be such a shit show i can't wait to watch it dude yeah take out ytd just he always kills it I mean, except for maybe Free Guy, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I enjoyed Free Guy, but they really wasted Take IYTD in that. That was just a role you should not put him in. You know, Yeah.
1: I feel like he didn't get enough screen time to like really bring out that villain.
0: He got plenty of screen time. The problem was, was they were having him play a cookie cutter villain, I think. And Take IYTD is at his best when he's playing some weird fringy guy, you know? Yeah. Like, that's what you want from one of his performances. So Trey Parker and Matt Stone are teaming up with Kendrick Lamar to make a live-action comedy movie for Paramount. The movie will depict the past and present coming to a head when a young black man who is interning as a slave reenactor at a living history museum discovers that his white girlfriend's ancestors once owned his. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Wow, there's a lot of layers there. Yeah. So I have a feeling it's going to be very funny, but part of me is like, guys, don't do this. I don't know. Yeah. I think they get away with it in South Park now, but I'm not sure they're going to get away with it going back into movies again.
1: Yeah, their their movies always were like on the like ragged edge of like
0: acceptable <laughs> No, they were beyond the edge of Acceptable, <laughs> but it was at a time you could get away with it. Like, they haven't done a movie in a while, right? Like, uh, what's the last movie they did? Maybe Orgasmo? No, no. I think it's uh, Team America.
1: Was that after?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because I think Orgasmo was, like, right after they started South Park, like, a couple years in. And, mm-hmm. like, Team America was, like, 04, right?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. So, it's like... So, I mean, we got... They have, what, three movies? Orgasmo, Basketball, and...
0: Okay, so Basketball was a Zucker Brothers movie. They just starred in it. I have to think they did some writing in it. Like, they probably massaged some jokes, right? Like, a lot of them come off as Trey Parker and Matt Stone jokes, but it's definitely a Zucker Brothers thing. But... They did have Cannibal the Musical, which is terrible. <laughs> I have not seen that one. Yeah, I have it on DVD. Like, I've had so many people that just like are like, really? I want to watch it. And I'm like, no, you don't. And then I always pass it to them. They're like, man, that was really not good. And I was like, I know. <laughs> Cause it was before they did South Park or anything. And their comedy's not quite fully formed yet. And even Lee and Associates didn't want that DVD. No. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Cosmic Void if you want to know what that's all about. (laughs) if i can go to the base level for you though so it it was bought up by trauma team at some point okay okay and i think it's after they became famous it was bought out by trauma team but there's a extra feature in there that you have to like answer this trauma team trivia and if you get the answer wrong you see a super violent scene from a trauma team movie and if you get the answer right you see breasts <laughs> So there was a time in my life, this is like around 2004, probably when I was living in Olympia, where it's just like I didn't have the Internet. So it was like I had all the answers written down inside the TVT. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> they still might be inside that TVT, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not, because I think I threw away all my cases at some point. But (laughs) So Joss Whedon gave this interview with the Vulture. Now, I don't know if you heard, but Joss Whedon was accused of doing a lot of things. Yeah. Gaslighting his wife. And then there was an actress on Buffy who was saying that he had called her fat while she was pregnant. And then he fired her like a year after they were done. He was like trying to inquire whether she was going to get an abortion or not. Made a writer cry in the staff room when he was working on Buffy that got reported. When he was working on Justice League, he basically threatened Gal Gadot and told her that he could make her career very difficult. And then, of course, Ray Fisher was pissed off with him for a variety of things. At one point, he said something about how he found out that Joss Whedon was changed changing skin tones of people. And then on top of it, he had been working with Zack Snyder about trying to like take out certain stereotypes out of stuff and Joss Whedon kind of threw that all the way. Ray Fisher was like supposed to be a big part of that movie and he cut him largely out. So he goes and gives this interview with Vulture and it is quite a write-up, dude. It's a very long write-up. I read the whole thing. It starts out, the writer is saying like Joss Whedon contacted him and wanted to do an interview with him. And so he was like debating whether to meet with him or not and finally goes to meet him. But this was a fucking mistake, dude, from Joss Whedon's point, because like this writer then decided it seems like I'm not going to just make this a puff piece for Joss Whedon. And so he really interviewed a lot of people who had been around Joss Whedon for years and dug up a bunch of shit. Joss Whedon, you can tell throughout the thing, he's trying to build up his mythos and talk about how it all crashed down. But he's more interested in building up his mythos again, I think. And then towards the end, he's trying to defend himself. And it comes off as real fucking bad. He starts off with the defense talking about how his his mom was a feminist. And this is something he used to talk about in interviews quite a bit. A lot of examples are given in the article. And he mentions that he was doing some reflection on himself because he couldn't write for anybody. His career it seems like it's stalled out right now. So he's like, I might as well work on myself. And then he remembered he was supposed to watch this kid who was like four when he was five in a swimming pool and the kid drowned like right in front of him. And you could tell this is just like an attempt to kind of get sympathy right away. And he was basically sketching himself as a nerd who like couldn't get the girl kind of at the beginning of it. And then at a certain point, was saying like it really wasn't his fault when he was on Buffy because he was afraid that like he would never get these opportunities again even if he was upset at himself and talked about how he could understand with feminists type of guy that they didn't like because he had that guy inside of his head. It's fucking weird dude. It's really weird when you hear him talking because I think in his head he's trying to be like yeah I'm being apologetic for this stuff but then like I'm not going to take responsibility for any of it and it just comes off as like awful. Like the whole whole thing comes off as awful. And then at a certain point, he tried to say that Gal Gadot didn't understand what he was saying to her because he uses flowery language and English isn't her first language. And she just retorted by saying, yeah, I understood what he said. (laughs) And and somebody else, I think uh, Ray Fisher said like, yeah, she probably could understand that in seven different languages since she's fluent in so many. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. But my question to you is, did you ever buy into the Joss Sweden as a feminist thing. And I'm not trying to like look backwards and like adjust what we thought then and what we th- with like what we think now. But I'm just curious, did you ever buy into that in the first place?
1: I have never thought of Josh Whedon as a feminist and I watched Buffy back in the day, but that show never really came across as feminist. I mean, I liked the character. It always had a like a very masculine tone to it. Mm -hmm. it's felt like everything that was written for the characters is definitely written from a male point of view.
0: Yeah. I heard the narrative and I didn't really think heads or tails about it. I just knew with the Joss Whedon thing, you usually got a female protagonist, right? Like that was kind of, what he was known for but the more and more i thought about it like over the years the more i was like i don't know that this is really (laughs) fabulous because it always felt like he was always trying to get like really hot women in and like have them in provocative clothing and stuff yeah yeah and like, it always felt, even though it had a woman at the center, it always felt like it was exploitive. Yeah. And so it was always kind of weird to me. That narrative popped up once I started to really think about it. But then you look back with like 2020 20 goggles and you're like, oh yeah, this was never.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it's obvious now, but I was just curious. We're almost the bad people to bring this up to because I don't think we watched his stuff consistently. Right. Like I know mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, I Have a Daughter Named Serenity had nothing to do with Firefly at all. I haven't watched Firefly until like 2018-ish. I'm going to be honest. I saw the movie Serenity. I knew it was related to the show, but like some other people were watching it and I was kind of in the room, so I watched it and I was just like, okay, but it was kind of annoying because it was one of those things where people were like explaining everything to me every three seconds and I just wanted to watch the movie, you know? Yeah. My brother and mom and dad and stepbrother and just, like, tons of people I know are, like, super into Firefly. And so I did try. I think I watched, like, the first DVD disc, so it was probably, like, the first four episodes. I just never got into it. It was never my thing.
1: Yeah, I, and then my story is pretty similar. I mean, I watched Serenity. I enjoyed it. And then I watched probably about, like, three, four episodes. And I'm like, this is kind of boring. Yeah. And it just, it didn't have the experience. Excitement that I saw in the Serenity movie.
0: Yeah, and then the Dollhouse one. That one's always interesting because I always know so many people that are Joss Whedon fans that, like, wanted to defend it but also knew you can't really defend that show. And I never saw that one. Yeah, I mean, from what I've gathered, it's about sex dolls essentially that are being mistreated that's basically what i've heard (laughs) which in the article at some point he talked about how he always felt like somebody was saying that he had admitted that he felt like the character in it that was like taking care of the dolls but like didn't really take care of the dolls if you know what I mean like that was basically him and that is like such a shitty comp for a person to make that it tells you a lot man there was so many things in that article that's just like just generally shitty things like if you even take out the me too stuff I think we can just agree he's like a shitty human being because there was one ex that he had so she was saying that like she thought dollhouse was actually more feminist than people were giving it credit for and she's a big fan of it and she was in like this dominatrix scene and, and uh, at some point she like started having an affair with him and he was basically treated her kind of like a doll and this was like their give and take and she liked it but he had asked her what her worst memory was and so at some point she talked about how her boyfriend had dumped her on her birthday and so they dated for around a year and then he broke up with her on her birthday.
1: It was a previous boyfriend had dumped her on her birthday. Yeah, And so he knew that was like the worst for her. And then he proceeded to do the same thing to her. Is that what you're trying to tell me here? That's pretty awful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So just a generally bad human being. You got a movie review, right?
1: Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, and I meant to do this last week, but I, I forgot about it when we were recording. I saw... Movie, the Sparks Brothers, and when I was down in LA last summer, there was a lot of promotion for this movie. That I think it was still like a week or two out from being released, and it's one of those things that I don't know if it came here locally. It went to the Lloyd, but I didn't get a chance to see it. And it uh, it's available on streaming. I think it's on Hulu. I can't remember. Anyways, it's an Edgar Wright directed movie. It's about these uh, two performance artists which are make up the greatest british band to come out of america <laughs> and Wait, it's what <laughs> it's it's a fake documentary it's done in such a way it's not like spinal tap i mean it's definitely you know we are watching a mockumentary i think it's a really good gaslighting movie because they really build it up like this is a real band they are a
0: real band. Aren't they? No. I thought they were a real band.
1: No. Everything has that is available on the internet has been come out since 2018 when they started first started production. They made fake Wikipedia pages, they made YouTube videos, they kept like when they would film something, they would drop it on YouTube so that it looks like there's a history of it, but they're not a real band. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm telling you, they do a great job gaslighting, but no. Because I'm looking at this shit. It looks like they're a real band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can you find anything before 2018 of a band that's been around since the 60s? So what's amazing is the amount of PR that went out. And I mean, they've actually become a real band. Like there's tours and stuff that they're doing now. I mean, you could definitely tell it's all been deep faked, but they did a really good job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is nuts, dude. Nobody told me this shit. Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. August 15th, 2010. There's a video for Sparks. No, that's Sparks. It's not Sparks Brothers. (sighs) (laughs) It
1: is really interesting. I mean, and they got a bunch of... C and D list musicians. Didn't they have Flea on it? Flea. I mean,
0: Flea is probably one of the bigger names. It's on Netflix, by the way. Oh, okay. So the band is Sparks. Yes. Okay.
1: All right. A lot of people, I mean, they back Jane Linton Fred Armisen, Weird Al, uh,
0: Neil Gaiman. And so, I mean. Okay. So I'm looking at a song that was uploaded to YouTube in 2000. 10 for the sp- for sparks this town ain't big enough for both of us it's supposed to be a song from 1974. yeah I don't believe it I'm just telling you dude it says 12 years ago look <laughs> it's YouTube saying it it's not the write-up. The only reason it caught me off guard was, like, Carl and a whole bunch of people I know were, like, talking about the Sparks as if they knew who they were. And so that, like, threw me off when you said that. Because I was like, hold on. Are you sure you didn't get into some QAnon shit? (laughs) (laughs) If there was something Where did you hear this? let Let me put it this way. Where did you hear this?
1: I was just going through and all, looking at all of the information out it, there is nothing before this movie came out
0: there is i just found it on youtube there's like it was uploaded in 2010 yeah i don't believe that <laughs> it is dude you just saw it <laughs> i mean i can't go to my record collection and pull one out cuz i don't have one but cuz they don't exist <laughs> <laughs> but they, well, they do they do now So I want to know how far this goes for you. How big is the cover-up? How many people are involved? I mean, everybody that made the movie. Okay. So you think they went and they were like, 12 years from now, we're going to like fake this band. So we need to like write a song and put it on YouTube right now to make it look like 1974. Or they just called up
1: YouTube and said, like, can you change the okay, date on this? Okay, so that's what I'm saying. This you think, one
0: video. So you think that, like, this goes as far as YouTube at least. So we're including Google in this. <laughs> so I should be looking up on Yahoo's site or something because, like, Google is going to feed me false information. <laughs> All right, continue. <laughs> I want to see a actual album
2: I can't provide that dude
1: I've I want to see a picture of, of an actual album I've never heard of you them can't before. find a picture of an actual album that's not from the movie <laughs> they made they made something 25 or some 25 to fifty albums and nobody can produce one that that's a big red flag for me so I'm looking at their Wikipedia page oh Wikipedia come on <laughs>
0: Written by Mister Wright. It says they had a disco hit in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It looks legit to me on Wikipedia. <laughs> All right, let's let's look at the external. They got some Discogs stuff. They got Music Brains and their official website for their external links. So obviously, we can't go to their official website. Can, will will Discogs work or? <laughs> You got Discogs, right? You can look it up on there. See if anybody's got a Sparks album for sale.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm looking. I got to log in. Here we go.
0: So, just out of curiosity, like, is Elon Musk in on this? Like, (laughs) did he get involved at some point with Steve Jobs in this before he died? (laughs) Does this go to the absolute top? Does Biden know about this? No, I'm not that naive. I know it's not Biden at the top, man. You know what I mean? Coming storm, dude. Coming store. Dude, I'm looking at another Sparks song on YouTube, and it said posted July 4th, 2015. Here's one. June. Nope, that's a Coldplay song called Sparks. <laughs> that, that doesn't work. Hmm. Yeah, I don't believe they're a real right.
1: You still don't bl-
0: Okay. All I, right, dude. I mean, I'm looking at their I'm dis-
1: discography on Discog. And
0: I'm, it's, it's there, but I'm... Okay. I'm looking at them on Spotify. They have on Spotify... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight albums on Spotify. That's a lot of fucking work for a troll. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a lot of work. Is it possible that your theory is just wrong? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's that's not true. Dude, they're in a compilation called Mal Malintu- Intuition. Best of the... S- oh, wait. That's Best of the Sparks. Never mind. That That doesn't help, but... <laughs> I'm telling you, man, they're definitely a thing. I'm sorry, dude. (laughs) Well, what did you think about the documentary? Does it change it knowing that they're real? (laughs) I mean, they're not real, but no, it doesn't change it. All right, we're going to revisit this when Cooler Heads can prevail next week. I'm going to watch this so that we could talk about this together, okay? I'm going to deep dive the fuck out of it and try to prove to you that this is a real band the best I can. So you wanted to bring up one more thing, right?
1: Uh, while we're on the music front, Daniel Radcliffe has signed on to be Weird Al in the new Weird Al biopic for the Roku channel.
0: So I'm going to talk about this with Carl in a little bit. So I'm just going to let you get your piece out here.
1: I'll probably watch it, but I'm not that. Well, I don't know. I don't have Roku channel, so I might not watch this. Do you really
0: think it's real? Weird Al is real. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. That's not what I mean. (laughs) It's done by Funny or Die. Do you really think it's a biopic? I'm assuming it's going to be something funny. I think so, too.
1: It was uh, written by Ron Apple. It's going to start production here in February.
0: Did you ever see their Art of the Deal movie that they made? No. I want to say it was when Trump was running for president. They made this movie off of his book, The Art of the Deal, and they made it as a TV movie. And I think it was Johnny Depp playing Donald Trump, who was supposed to be playing himself in it. It was one of those things where, like, there was parts of it that were really funny. And then there was parts of it where it was like, wow, this is still going. (laughs) Like, you really committed to this bit. This is a whole 90 minutes for, like, something that you dropped onto YouTube. (laughs) <laughs> Which is what I feel like they're kind of doing with the Roku channel, you know? But What else have you watched on Roku channel? Have you watched anything? I, am, I
1: don't have Roku channel.
0: They had this documentaries that Joe and Anthony Russo, like the Russo brothers did. And it was like DC versus Marvel, I think was the name of it. And Kevin Smith like narrated it and they were made for Quibi. Yeah. And I've been waiting for these forever because any kind of comic book documentary, I'm just going to consume. It was good, but the problem was every episode was between six to 10 minutes. That's it. That's it, dude. Yeah. And so there was like eight episodes that were six to ten minutes, and then I was done. And I was just like, this is a lot That, a, that doesn't even of fill an hour. Yeah, dude. That was a lot of commercials I sat through for fucking... <laughs> Like forty minutes of fucking (laughs) entertainment, man. The content that was there was great. I'm glad Quibi failed. The idea that maybe something would have dropped that I would have wanted to check out on Quibi, and that's what I would have been presented with. Fuck that. Well, no, that that didn't have me because like Quibi's still folded, right? (laughs) (laughs) you can buy quibi right now if you want this is the time like all those people are suffering with nfts like time to get in on the bottom floor i would say the same thing about quibi right now (laughs) you're never gonna get quibi stock cheaper than right now (laughs) like it's an afterthought right now you can build the quibi empire right now what are you waiting for why are you listening to this podcast take your earbuds out Go buy some fucking stock in Quibi. What's an app you can get on your phone to do that? Help them out, Brandon. I have no idea. Where'd you get your Bitcoin things on?
1: I have some crypto and
0: Coinbase. Don't you have an app you do that through? Yeah, Coinbase. Coinbase. That's what it's called, Coinbase. Yeah. Get on Coinbase. Get some Quibi. (laughs) (laughs) It's right there, dude. (laughs) It's worth just as much as Bitcoin right now. (laughs) You buy low and then you make a lot of money at the end of it. (laughs) That's how this works. Step three profit. Exactly. (laughs) Fuck step two. Just step one get this app. Step three profit. It'll work. It'll work. I'm always talking about how the superhero movies of our youth were so terrible, right? But then I started thinking they were even worse in the 70s. They were fucking wretched, and all that they had at that time was TV movies. And so this is a list of 10 superhero TV movies in the 70s. Now, there's one on this list that's a theatrical release, but it's based off of a TV show. So I'm basically going to read off the synopsis of it. And you're going to try and tell me who the superhero is, okay? Alright. The Iron Cross Army are sabotaging oil tankers with the help of their monster, the Sea Devil, a semi-mechanical anthropomorphic swordfish with an ability to shoot torpedoes from its mouth. The hero employs the help of the Interpol agent, Yuzo Mamiya, to help him stop the Iron Cross Army. The hero uses his remote-controlled Marveler to prevent the Sea Devil from bombing an industrial complex by making its missiles explode in the air. After the monster's master makes it grow giant in the hero has to use his Marveler to transform into a giant mech to fight the monster. After they exchange the blows, uses the mech's giant sword to disintegrate the Sea Devil. So what is this? Which hero is this? Is this Aquaman? Nope, this is not Aquaman. Is this Marvel or DC? Okay, these aren't always going to be Marvel or DC, but this is kind of a Marvel joint. And this goes way off a of book. Like, way off a of book. Yeah, I got no idea. This is Japanese Spider-Man. Japanese this the, spider yep, This is the theatrical release. <laughs> I highly recommend watching this movie. It's insane, but it's very entertaining, and it's, like, 35 minutes long, and it's on YouTube. Watch this, dude. It's so good. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Japanese Spider-Man is actually, like, very, very entertaining. I encourage everybody to watch it. It's so good. Okay. The hero, a research scientist haunted by the death of his wife, whom he couldn't save in a car accident, is researching how to tap the hidden reserves of incredible strength all humans have. While investigating episodes of people who have displayed such strength under times of great stress, he discovers that each one coincided with the solar flare spike of gamma radiation. Convinced by the link, the hero decides to put it to the test when he deliberately doses himself with gamma radiation. Unknown to him, however... The machine was modified to give a far higher dose than he anticipated. While there was no immediate effect, that soon change went on his way home. He's forced to change a tire in the rain. He injures himself, and the resulting anger and frustration transforms him into a massively powerful green giant. He eventually changes back, investigates what did this thing, and faced the consequences.
1: This is uh, Lou Ferrigno as the Incredible Hulk.
0: Yes, and Bill Bixby as David banner david (laughs) banner david (laughs) for people who don't know that story stan lee told the story basically the network executives would not go with bruce banner because they thought bruce sounded gay because it was the 70s and they're just like no not doing that gotta be david it's like what so dumb but yeah that was the pilot episode of the incredible hulk which was a tv movie Thomas Lidmer, a world-weary sorcerer, foresees the return to Earth of his ancient adversary, Morgan Le Fay, who has been granted dominance over men's souls by the Nameless One. In order to combat her evil magic, Lidmer must pass the Guardianship of Light onto a young psychiatry resident who has no inkling of his destiny. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a psychiatrist superhero. No. I'll give you a hint. We did this on box office battle in the Zack days. Is this
1: no, Captain America was nineteen eighty.
0: It's not Captain America. Okay, I'll give you another hint. The mother in Arrested Development, Jessica Walters plays a sorceress in this. And I was really, really attracted to her and it it shook me to my core a little bit. <laughs> yeah, still don't remember. Dr. Strange, but it's DR period strange. <laughs> That's the thing. They like never go with the actual story. They just change things so much. You're one for three so far, Brandon. A criminal organization known as OSO specializes in kidnapping high-ranking U.S. representatives. Although the hero has already thwarted one of their kidnappings, he is unable to stop them when grabbing William Henry Cameron right from under OSI's nose and OSI demands $1 billion in gold, and Oscar Goldman, see what they did there, takes the opportunity to try and lure them out into the open. Meanwhile, the hero accompanies Dr. Eric Bergner, who is testing a new method of brain transferal in order to find where Cameron is being kept. Wow. (laughs) This is a TV movie that was in the middle of the run somewhere. It ran for five seasons, and this is like the plot for one of the movies. Is this a Wonder Woman joint? Nope, not Wonder Woman. Don't think Marvel or DC. Yeah, I don't know. You do know this hero, so let me give you another hint. This was one of the biggest things on TV in the 70s. Six
1: Million Dollar Man?
0: Yeah, Six Million Dollar Man. That TV movie was the solid gold kidnapping. <laughs> Okay, this one's going to be tough. I'm just going to be honest with you. A man has a watch that makes him invisible when pressed. However, he can only remain invisible for 15 minutes or else he stays invisible forever. No idea. Gemini, man. I I think it's just a 70s joint. Some of these are tough, dude. I'm not going to lie. Okay, so I think, holy shit, dude, you're not doing well. No. (laughs) (laughs) Two for five. Our hero is a physics professor and research scientist. He is also an avid jogger with a drive for competition and, of course, moral convictions. He is in a bank and witnesses a robbery. After the gunman leaves, he chases one down and catches him. He turns his captive over to the police. Turns out the captive is the son of an organized crime boss, so the police give the hero 24-hour protection in return for his promise to testify. He gets threatening phone calls, his research assistant is killed, and he's put in a wheelchair. Finally, his girlfriend is threatened, so he decides not to testify. He then goes to a lab and creates a material that he forms into a suit. It helps him walk, gives him super strength, and he is now bulletproof. He sends his girlfriend out of town and gets revenge either by killing everyone or putting them in jail. At first, I thought this was a flash thing, but that's not. Nope. 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 Um. Don't think Marvel and DC. So you might want to just you might want to just quit now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay, he's got a suit that helps him walk. Think of like an exoskeleton suit. What would be a name for somebody with an exoskeleton suit? Mecha something. Nah, it's probably Japanese, right? Uh, Exo Man. <laughs> Two for six, dude. When a commercial artist is almost murdered by spies looking for his late father's secret, he is saved in surgery when the flag formula is injected into him. His serum not only heals him, but gives him tremendous strength and lightning reflexes. To help the hero retaliate against his attackers, a government agency equips him with a special motorcycle loaded with gadgets, including a detachable shield that's not only bulletproof, but can be thrown as a weapon. Thus armed, he battles against the nation's enemies as the sentinel of liberty. Is this
1: Captain America? This is
0: Captain America, the first TV movie. Three for seven. A high school teacher unearths a mystical amulet that once belonged to an ancient Egyptian queen. She later discovers that the amulet enables her to become a goddess with the powers to control the elements. Although her secret identity is unknown to her closest friends, she uses these powers to fight crime and to help those that are in trouble. Uh,
1: Cleopatra.
0: No, but you're kind of on the right track. Like, think actual Egyptian gods. Uh, Nefertiti? Nope. Uh, uh, I don't know. The secret of Isis. Isis. Yeah, it's a little more sinister nowadays, right? <laughs>
1: two or it's f- archers group.
0: <laughs> okay, two for eight. Our hero is a lone survivor of the legendary sunken continent of Atlantis. Having adapted to life underwater, he possessed webbed hands, light-sensitive eyes, and the ability to swim at low depths in the sea for long periods. He draws strength from the water and can overpower most ordinary men. He assists an institute for undersea research operated by his human friends, Dr. Elizabeth Merrill, C.W. Crawford, and joins Dr. Merrill in several exploratory missions aboard a high-tech submarine. They encounter several bizarre phenomena, including portals leading to other dimensions, a substance capable of altering personalities, an impish creature whose touch causes a mental return to childhood and the scheme of a portly millionaire, Mr. Schubert, to melt the polar ice caps. (laughs) Aquaman? No, but you would think so, right? (laughs) (laughs) Namor. Nope. (laughs) Tapped out now? Uh, C Lab, nope, <laughs> not even C Lab 2020, which explains that show. Now that I think about the year, because <laughs> it was a disaster. Yeah, so it was 2021. Oh, you're right. Same, <laughs> <laughs> same. It's Man from Atlantis. Okay, two for nine, Brandon. This is a chance to. Well, you're getting an F no matter what. But <laughs> <laughs> After a dogfight with a Nazi plane, U.S. Air Force pilots crash land on an uncharted island in the Bermuda Triangle. Paradise Island is inhabited only by women, and their existence has been kept a secret for thousands of years. Learning of the Nazi threat to humanity, the Amazon Princess has chosen to accompany him back to the U.S. to battle the Third Reich. Garbed in a skimpy red, white, and blue costume and armed with a magic lasso that forces anyone within its grasp to tell the truth, She uses her powers to battle the forces of evil.
1: Okay, I'm gonna go out with a redemption here. This is Wonder
0: Woman. Yeah, you got your redemptive 30%. (laughs) (laughs) So we thought our shit was bad in the 80s, dude. Holy fuck, man. Can you imagine? Like, no wonder Superman was such a hit. They were so fucking starved for superheroes.
2: Yeah,
1: and you know, they had a lot of content out even then, and they still like
0: yeah, we'll just, here you go. But knowing that these were TV shows mostly, and hearing the plots, not that much different from a CW show, right? It's probably just instead of having, like, these young people in their 20s playing teenagers, you probably had, like, a dude smoking a cigarette with a weathered face mm-hmm. who looks 60 but is actually 25. Yeah. When did uh, Batman come out? The Adam 66. It went 66 to 69. No, I mean like the actual movie. 67. Okay. It was supposed to come out before the show, but then they had difficulties and they realized they had to do the first season of the show first. And then it was a giant hit. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I still enjoy that movie. Sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb.
0: Yeah, it might be upcoming or having already come out on a cosmic void at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it's off in the horizon or already happened, depending on when we drop this episode. <laughs> Okay, Carl. So I just did Brandon on one of these. So this is 10 superhero movies in the 70s. I have the same amount of easy ones for you that Brandon had. And I can give you hints to try and figure these out. But basically, I'm going to give you the premise of this. And you're going to try and guess who the superhero is or what the movie is depending okay. on the question. There's one of them that will say the superheroes over and over again but you have to figure out the title of it. Just before the destruction of planet Krypton scientist Jor-El sends his infant son Kal-El on a spaceship to Earth. Raised by kindly farmers Jonathan and Martha Kent young Clark discovers the source of his superhuman powers and moves to Metropolis to fight evil. As a superhero he battles the villainous Lex Luthor while his novice reporter Clark Kent he attempts to woo co-worker Lois Lane. Oh my god. Yes, Superman. That's correct. Superman the movie. So I I kind of front-loaded this for you a little bit, just to get you into how this works. The hero sacrifices his powers to start a relationship with Lois Lane, unaware that three Kryptonian criminals he inadvertently released are conquering the Earth. That sounds like Superman 2. That is correct. So you're two for two so far. This is about the crime-fighting exploits of a caped superhero and her teen sidekick. By day, Laurie and Judy work for Newsmaker magazine, but then they get into bright-colored spandex and are hit by a flash of light causing an Electra change, which they fight crime with. They ride around in an Electro car and reside in the Electra base, where their ally Frank Heflin uses a Cinemascope computer to find crime and lets the duo know where their Electra enemies are, such as the Empress of Evil,
2: Glitter Rock, and the Spider Lady. I mean, I would assume Electro Girl? <laughs> You're not far off. <laughs> Dazzler. No. I thought there was a dazzling. Don't movie think Marvel kind of or DC. This is a unique thing. Uh is it just like Lightning Girl? It is Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. Dinah Girl. She had a sidekick. <laughs> yeah. Electro woman. They never give their last
0: names. It's just Lori and Judy. <laughs> like it made it. <laughs> They're no the point only Laurie and that. Judy in the world. There's no <laughs> yeah. other Laurie's and Judy. I like that it's a Newsmaker magazine, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just like such, sure. such a playoff of Newsweek. Okay, during the 1930s, Clark Savage Jr. and his five amazing adventurers are sucked into the mystery of Clark's father disappearing in the wilds of South America. The maniacal Captain Sees tries to thwart them at every turn as they travel to the country of Hildalgo to investigate Doc's father's death. Doc Savage? Yeah, good job. And the man, LeBron. So you are three for four. So, Brandon got three right out of ten. So, you are on a higher clip than him so far. If you get one more, then you win. A violent criminal organization in Istanbul led by Spider-Man prints counterfeit U.S. dollars and decapitates a woman with a boat propeller. A task force of the Mexican wrestler Santo, Captain America and his girlfriend Julia try to stop Spider-Man. Julia is kidnapped by him, but rescued by Cap. Meanwhile, Santo infiltrates a dojo used for counterfeiting and is captured. Cap rescues him and they manage to shut it down, but not before Spider-Man kills a couple people and steals a statue. Cap and Santo catch Spider-Man, but he splits into three. Santo beats one to a pulp. Cap strangles another. The third escapes. Cap and Santo go undercover in a close when the gang fights them and kidnaps them Cap and Santo pretend to fight each other confusing the gang long enough to catch them by his surprise and escape Cap kills Spider-Man only to see another double he keeps killing them until none are left as Cap, Julie, and Santo are getting in a cab they see Spider-Man drive it Cap rips off his head and realizes it's just a child wearing a mask <laughs>
2: <laughs> Santo, who the fuck is Santo? He's a he's, he's a, a Mexican, Mexican wrestler. like a luchador wrestler. He was not only a
0: real luchador wrestler, but like he had movies. So and he's so Nacho the... Libre is based off of that actor. So this who is like Santo. this is a Santo movie. Yes and no.
2: It's a, okay.
0: This movie
2: started. I feel like it should be called Cap and Santo, just based on how many times you said Cap and Santo. <laughs> Captain America, Santo, and Spider Man. Just no, just Cap and Santo. Yeah. No, no Cap. Captain America, just Cap and Santo. Cap and in Santo. Yeah, there you go. Cap and Santo. So this movie was made in Turkey. It started off the whole like,
0: let's take intellectual properties from around the world. But this
2: isn't that Mexican Spider-Man thing you're obsessed with. It's because I thought that Japanese Spider-Man, no, Italian Spider-Man, Italian Spider-Man, Italian Spider-Man is parodying. So Italian Spider-Man is kind of parodying this. But that's not from the 70s. That's like they just make it look like the 70s. Yeah like 10 years ago.
0: It might have even been like 15. But yeah. Yeah, like it's 05, it's parodying 06. the genre that this movie started. Right. Which is, yeah, like this. We're going to grab superheroes and big movies from other countries. And because of the copyright laws just in Turkey, we can put together a movie and do whatever we want with the characters and not face any repercussion for it, as long as we don't distribute it outside of Turkey. <laughs> so this well, I'm is assuming, what they
2: did. I'm assuming that it's some Santo movie. I just, I don't know how I could ever come up with the title. I don't know the title.
0: Okay. It's called. Three Giant Men in English. The original title was Three Dev Adam.
2: So. Yeah, see I never never would have got that. <laughs> a lot of these Turkish tough, nonsense. <laughs> yeah, the they also have these
0: Have you ever seen any of Turkish Star Wars? Uh uh-uh. uh. It's fucking awful, but they literally just took like four movies and ripped off clips and then put it together to make a movie. And that's Turkish Star Wars. You'll see it for free on streaming services all the time. During a summer heatwave, all the water in Warsaw is puzzlingly disappearing. Scientists secretly call upon a superhero, Ace, who passes his days living as a mild-mannered engineer to try and solve the mystery. It turns out that the mysterious Maharaja spotted with his partner in crime, Dr. Spot, to steal Poland's water and remove it from Maharaja's country. And this is a communist parody of Superman, so I'll tell you that. (laughs) Doesn't sound like it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. It sounds like uh I would have guessed it originally until you got to that said that I would have said it was like something like the Phantom, you know? Yeah or like uh, the the shadow. But uh <laughs> Or Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. But like a kind of like a spy detective kind of thing. Not like a Superman parody. Yeah,
0: and they sh- it's a black and white film, and they show. And when you see him, you're like, "Oh yeah, that's Superman." It's just okay. like a, it's just a weird communist kind of symbol on his chest. But I, are you just gonna give up? On I this? give up. Okay, pass. Hydrozagadica, I guess is how you say. It. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the tip of my tongue. Okay, if you can give me the name of the band. That will work for this one. But let me get through the plot, because it's fucking nuts. Devereaux, an engineer at an amusement park called Magic Mountain, is upset that his animatronic attractions are being overshadowed by a rock concert. He is also mind-controlling Sam, an employee. Three punks sabotage a ride and then falls into a trap set by Devereaux. The owner finds out and fires him. He vows revenge on his boss, the park, and the rock band. Devereaux makes a robotic copy of the lead singer and wreaks havoc on the park. A woman enlists the band in helping her find Sam. Meanwhile, Sam breaks into the band's lair to try and steal their talisman. The band
2: has a lair? Yeah,
0: apparently. <laughs> Meanwhile, the band is fighting Devereaux's animatronic <laughs> white monkeys. Devereaux is given the band's talismans, which causes them to lose their powers, because apparently they have powers. Man. He, he neutralizes them with a ray gun and imprisons them in his underground lab. He then replaces them with animatronic copies who incite a riot at the show. The band finds their talisman, regains their powers, and Is the band the Monkeys?
2: No. (laughs) Okay, I thought the monkeys might have been. It makes sense. It defeats the imposters. The the band kiss yes how did that I... <laughs> of course it's you Brandon congratulations of course it was fucking kiss yeah it's called kiss meets the phantom of the park of course it's kiss dude and you know what's they, so annoying apparently they will the whole time they will were kick
0: just... anybody out who even mentions that this exists no, like this they're is, so upset about this it this
2: is the thing that really bothers me is the whole time you were describing that movie I was like I want to fucking watch this yeah me too <laughs> and then it Kiss, and I lose all yep. interest and desire in watching it. It's like, that was your problem. There's your problem. In fact, have you... Okay, this is a little off the subject, but I just saw a trailer this morning for a movie called Studio 666, yeah, I believe. Yeah, And it's like... I want to see it. Dave, I, it's I, the, yeah. a Foo Fighters mockumentary where they record their 10th album in a haunted mansion it's, and Dave Grohl gets possessed by a demon. Is that a real movie or is that just a trailer that is an album? commercial? Or is it a real movie? Have
0: you seen the trailer? Yes. Yeah, I think it's a real... I didn't watch the whole My my understanding of it is they went to record their 10th album and Dave Grohl believed it was haunted. Like We talked about this on a previous episode. Oh, okay. Because we're on Patreon right now. He had tracks that they had recorded that disappeared and then there was weird mic noise that would suddenly be in their place. And he was convinced that it was haunted. So he was thinking about this and then decided to write a horror movie that's like a nod to like 80s and 90s horror movies.
2: Do you think it might be in some ways an homage to this Kiss movie? It's entirely possible. Because <laughs> it sounds like a kind of a somewhat similar premise. Yeah, it's only entirely it possible. it is purely supernatural, I suppose, but the old, this old one is like a basically Scooby-Doo mystery. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Actually, if it was filmed as a Scooby-Doo mystery, it probably would have been better. It sounds like it follows the <laughs> villain. They're like, what if Scooby-Doo, but we follow the villain instead of the Scooby-Doo gang? <laughs> Who cares about this Devereaux people, you <laughs> yeah. know? Okay. Okay, next. Right. By the way, you just won. Congratulations. I, yeah, you beat Brandon. I knew I was going to win.
0: Kronos, a humanoid extraterrestrial, has been sent to planet
2: Earth. Kronos. Is that it?
0: No. In order to help <laughs> humanity against its own threats. Setting in New York City, he becomes a superhero who has the ability to turn guns into bananas. He confronts the nefarious Dr. Golikahu who tries to take over the world. So this is a play off of Superman. Because Superman's
2: famous for turning guns into bananas? No,
0: I mean, the title is literally a playoff of oh, Superman.
2: Oh, uh, Ultraman. Nope. Powerman. Nope. Uh, Wonder Man. Nope. <laughs> uh, it's not a DC or Marvel property. I'm just taking different words and applying them to man. <laughs> we could be here all day. Awesome
0: man. Nope. Let me ask you a question. If you heard somebody had an extra exoskeleton and he was a superhero, what name would you think it was? Iron Man. No. Nope. Steel Man. Nope. Okay. <laughs> <X-O-Man>? No. Okay. XO Man. No. Exo Man? That was one that Brandon couldn't get, and I was trying to give him that. That's hint. what it was? Yeah, it was XO Man. Yeah, like was... EXO Man? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's terrible. All right. You give up? Yeah. Supersonic Man. Ugh. See, it's right in the title. Super fast. Okay. Friday Foster, played by Pam Greer, is an ex magazine model turned magazine photographer who refuses to be hit on by her boss and becomes involved in the stories in which she's ensigned. After witnessing an assassination attempt on the nation's wealthiest African-American, Black Blake Tar, and then her best friend Cloris Boston murdered, Friday finds herself targeted for death. She teams up with private detective Colt Hawkins to investigate, played by Yafakoto. Koto and soon the two are hot on the trail of a plot to eliminate the country's African-American political leadership. <laughs> so this was the very first African-American comic book, and it was turned into an exploitation movie at some point.
2: Uh, man, now you're calling me out for not knowing the first African-American comic book. <laughs> uh, Pre-Marvel
0: and DC. Yeah, so yeah. In terms of uh, like them actually creating a, a comic
2: book. And it was a... The- was the character was a lady? Yep. Played by Pam Greer. Why do I have this feeling that the name Samson is in there somewhere, but I don't think that's <laughs> No, right. but
0: he's definitely a character who's like out of exploitation movies,
2: right? Is he? <laughs> well, I mean, is Samson
0: it? Simpson looks like he could be in a Pam Greer movie in the
2: 70s. I'm just saying. I thought there was a character named Black Samson. You're probably right. But what is it? Friday Foster. Oh. It's also her name. <laughs> the- <laughs> Friday? That's a weird name for a person.
0: Yeah. Okay, here's the last one. Upon moving into a bigoted neighborhood, the scientist father of a persecuted black family gives a superpower elixir to a tough bodyguard who becomes a superpower crime fighter. So this movie was created by a pimp from Louisiana and partially filmed in a cat house. The film rights were eventually sold off to a film developer to finish it since he ran out of money when he needed the film developed. (laughs) But this is... I've legitimately heard the title of this before. Um... Give me a hint. It's got Superman in the title. Black Superman. You're close. You're halfway there. Super Black Man. It's Abar the first Black Superman. That's the name of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
2: Well, that's the 70s for you.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty rough decade, dude. I think the Superman movies are really the only decent things in there, but I kind of want to see that Kiss movie, even though Kiss is in it. And to think that people get mad about the Eternals. Yeah, dude, look at what we had. (laughs) Well, not yeah. Look what our this is before us.
2: No wonder our parents don't give a shit about superhero movies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is and I.
2: You know, I got to as a little as a to coda, be fair, though, both of my parents go to all the Marvel as movies, a bit so. of a coda to this. I struggle to uh, take somebody's opinion seriously when they're talking about movies in general. If the only movies you can ever bring up in your arguments are Marvel movies or superhero movies in general. Like and I think this might be where I do overlap. A bit with the Scorsese's and the the like, where I'm not where I'm aligned with them. I'm not a hundred percent against these guys. I think that the Marvel movies, in in particular, in order to maintain cohesion, have to have a consistency of tone. Mm-hmm. That means that. Everybody making a Marvel movie is working within a framework of restriction. And part of the fun of working within that framework is figuring out how to make that work your own in spite of that. But it also means that you are going to not see people taking a full swing. Right. A A Marvel movie is never a full swing from that director. So if you don't watch... Movies that aren't Marvel movies, you're never going to see a director taking their biggest swing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're not going to see. You're always going to see the safe bet from that director. And that's not a bad thing. It means that what you're going to see is not bad. But it also, I have yet to see a Marvel movie that pushes the boundaries of filmmaking forward. Yeah. You know what I mean? You (laughs) have to broaden your horizons if you want to have a truly deep conversation about film. You have to Break out of the kiddie pool that is Marvel. Yeah, and, and as much as I love splashing around in that kiddie pool, like what's really interesting, gotta go in the deep end every now and then. Watch some Lars Van Trier, get your soul crushed a little. Yeah, bit. like watch some some variety watch some of things. Paul W. C. Anderson. And
0: what's really interesting to me about that Scorsese quote that like I think people don't think about or don't actually like listen to everything that he said. He didn't say they were bad for movies. He just said I'm not into it. It's like I don't like to go watch amusement park rides which is the same thing he fucking said about like adam sandler movies at one point (laughs) like he's been consistent (gasps) about this like he say that about he's like i don't like that's not the experience i like for movies he has never ever said like disparage those movies he's just like that's not for me like He is very much a film history guy, and he's also aware that the movies he liked were considered trash when he
2: was young, too. And, you know, don't discount the media's tend to twist comments like that just for clickbait. I saw a fucking article just this morning that was like, Jennifer Lawrence said that it was really, really, really hard to work on set with Jonah Hill. That was the headline. Then you fucking click on the article and it's like, because I was laughing so much because he's so funny.
0: (laughs) It's like, fuck
2: you and your non fucking story. It's
0: so funny that you gave that example because when don't look up was coming out. I saw an article talking about how he insulted her a million different ways in the movie. And I was like, what is Jonah Hill being a dick? And I like clicked on it. It's like one of the rare times I clicked on it. And she was like, Oh, he was so quick with the insults. It was amazing. Cause this character does that. Cause like, that's
2: the whole yeah, fucking point. Cause he's an imp, cause he's really, and the whole point of the article I was reading was like, he's really good at improv. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck you. You know, fuck you. I didn't even click on it because I was like, ooh, what's going on between them? I clicked on it because I was like, what's this going to be a lie about you know i clicked on it to see what the lie was going to be or what what they had twisted out of context and so now that means we've gone full circle when we're no longer even being lured in we know that it's clickbait but we i'm clicking on it because i'm wondering how stupid is this clickbait (laughs) so it's drawn you in a different way yeah I'm, like, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, but they've still managed to draw me in, those motherfucking manipulative bastards.
0: Yeah, this is, like, the, uh...
2: Three giant men of news articles, right? Like when a movie that is terrible still manages to get me to tear up because they managed to make the music swell at the right part of the scene and it feels completely unearned and I'm tearing up and I'm yelling at the movie because I'm like, fuck you, you didn't earn these. You tricked me into you triggered these like Pavlov's fucking dogs. You triggered me into doing this. This is not fair (laughs) i hate you (laughs) i hate you movie
0: (laughs) please rate review and subscribe to the show follow us on instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs or email us at not safer network at gmail.com not safer network was created by carl borneman brandon beardsley and alex small produced by alex small a podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies, too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones, too, in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.